The website's background is a corny blue color. Its tabs are in a simple orange font, and a sequence of squares hold portals to different causes in the Houston area. It's the Bay Area Houston Economic Partnership, and it's the host of about 270 local projects. Nestled between two of these portals, a veteran support organization and an organization called Citizens for Space Exploration, is a portal with a photo of a hurricane and the title, Unprepared, A Nation at Risk. Click on the tab and it leads you to an email template to send to your representatives and a page-long statement of their intent. They urge Houstonians and the federal government to take action on a coastal spine in the area of the Houston Ship Channel. At the end of the first paragraph, it reads, The impact of a direct hit by a Category 3 or above hurricane is almost incalculable. The entire country would be affected. Then, they urge you to watch their video, in which Terrence O'Rourke, a lawyer and environmental advocate with a scruffy white mustache, says, We have no, as in Z-E-R-O, protection against storm surge. The entire country would be affected, and there's no protection. And it's not a small chance that it happens. In fact, it's inevitable. On this little blue website, there is a group of people trying to catch the attention of the public and the attention of their representatives to save a lot of people from an enormous catastrophe. What is going on with the representatives? That one George Bush that isn't either of the presidents, George P. Bush, Congressman Randy Weber, and Senator Larry Taylor are among those that have declared their support of establishing, way overdue but finally, a plan of action. But still, they don't have much to grab onto, and if we're in the process, it's still the very beginning. And they are outliers to Texas' general tendency to protect petrochemical complexes, like that in the Port of Houston, from the necessary regulations that would inhibit their development but also protect from storm surge. This legislative standstill is just one factor of the Houston Ship Channel's risk to storm surge. Risk breaks down into three measures, hazard, exposure, and vulnerability. The hazard we're addressing is that of storm surge, sea level rise caused by hurricanes in the Houston Ship Channel, which is a 225 square kilometer shipping port and petrochemical complex. Technically, storm surges arise in sea level due to any storm, but in this circumstance, storm surge that results specifically from hurricanes is our main focus. Storm surge intensity is determined by location, if it's, it's more likely along the coast, like Houston is. It's also determined by tide level, pressure, storm intensity, and coastal shape, as well as the hurricane's wind speed, central pressure, and angle of approach to the coast. A lot of things. The hurricane and storm surge itself is the factor of hazard, simply ecological, that is perilous to, in the channel, before any thought about population or infrastructure is introduced. Now, if the storm surge were to occur in a sparsely populated area, there would be much less risk, despite the magnitude of the storm remaining the same. Exposure, how many are located in the path of the surge, and why the surge happens there, is the next factor of risk. Houston is a huge city, with the largest petrochemical complex in the country. 
If affected by the natural hazard, the petrochemical complex would be both ecologically and economically harmful, not just to Texas, but to the entire country. It heightens risk through increasing exposure in the area. Finally, there's vulnerability. Within the exposed complex and the surrounding population, who or what is susceptible to the most damage, and why? Industrially, the vulnerability lies with lack of infrastructure to combat the storm surge. But socially, Houston stands vulnerable because they don't have an organized structure for communication about storms, and because many don't have financial access to what it would take to recover. First, it's important to understand what a hurricane really is and what a storm surge really is. The National Ocean Service describes the recipe for a hurricane in five factors. One, what they like to call a pre-existing weather disturbance, which really just means there has to be a storm happening already. Second, a tropical wave, which comes from a low pressure area that moves through like moisture-rich tropics. Third, warm water, at least 26.5 degrees Celsius over a depth of 50 meters. Uh, and fourth, thunderstorm activity. For this one, the recipe says thunderstorms turn ocean heat into hurricane fuel. And then the last one, the fifth one, low wind shear, which is a large difference in wind speed and direction around or near the storm. All this happens in the warm water of the Atlantic, and then it travels over to the Gulf, where the water remains warm but eventually meets land. Hurricanes occur frequently in the Houston area because it's in the Gulf, whose warm water and proximity to even warmer water in the tropics originally makes it an easy target. But as global temperatures rise due to climate change, these waters have become even more of a breeding ground for hurricanes. Storm surge occurs when this hurricane blows along the ocean surface and causes water to pile up as it approaches the shoreline. Because hurricanes are frequent in the area and surges are caused by them, storm surge is therefore likely in the Houston area as well. The intensity of, of the surge depends on the storm. Obviously, location along the coast is the first thing that increases Houston's risk to a surge. But coastal shape also plays a big factor. The Houston Ship Channel's slim and narrow nature would intensify the heightened impact of a potential storm surge. This is because smaller slopes have less resistance and are easier for storms to pass over. If the storm surge occurs at high tide, the sea level also has a lot of ground already covered for it and will rise more and do more damage than if it occurs during low tide. Floods also usually bring along the additional hazard a fire. When a storm surge enters a city like Houston, it floods a dense area of electricity which causes additional indirect hazard risk through fire. Houston has experienced six federally declared flooding disasters during the past five years, which produced 100-year and 500-year floods. A 100-year flood means its probability of recurrence is one every 100 years, and 500 means one every 500 years. But this isn't exact, as we see with the six that have happened in only five years. Climate change likely factors in here. Data to predict storm occurrence is based on trends of the past, so it's hard to account for present changes. But the bigger the storm, the less likely it is. Hurricane Ike was in 2008. 
It was a Category 2 at landfall in Texas, and its speed was around 130 miles per hour. Its highest storm surge was 6.1 meters. Hurricane categories are based on wind speed, which range from 74 to 157 miles per hour. Ike also approached the coast from a perpendicular angle, which is more harmful than a parallel storm. Parallel usually means that the storm doesn't make landfall, so they're less hazardous. And hurricanes bend counterclockwise, which means that the area to its right will receive more of its wrath. The Houston Ship Channel was to Ike's left, which meant its spin was away from the complex. But the storm still did around $36 billion in property damage and caused around 200 casualties. In 2017, Hurricane Harvey was a Category 4 when it made landfall, but de-escalated to a Category 2 with a similar speed and approach to the coast. It caused over 100 deaths and $125 billion in property damage. If either storm had taken a route a little to the left, the damage would have been exponentially worse. It was a matter of luck. Rice University's Severe Storm Prediction, Education, and Evacuation from Disaster Center, or SPEED for short, uh, have used Ike and past storm and weather trends in the Gulf to develop simulations for worst-case scenarios. And FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has also developed a similar simulated storm. Speed's simulated storm is a 350-year storm. It's called P715, and it's also known as Mighty Ike. It's what Ike would look like with higher wind speeds, and a storm that lands to the left of the channel, not the right. It's still not a Category 5, but its wind speed would be about 145 miles per hour, 15 miles per hour faster than Ike was. FEMA's simulation is similar, but it's a 500-year storm, rather than 350. Both of them have a perpendicular approach to the coast, and they would basically aim their projections right at the Houston Ship Channel. Both would make landfall at a point near the western end of Galveston Island, where Ike was originally projected to come ashore. For Houston, that's the worst place a hurricane could hit, positioning the counterclockwise spinning storm to fling most of its water into the ship channel and Clear Lake. It has a likelihood of about 10% over the next 50 years. And once the storm makes landfall, the hurricane-force winds would meet rising waters to blow 25 to 35-foot storm surges up Clear Lake in the Houston ship channel specifically to the property of oil companies like Shell and ExxonMobil, and to surrounding neighborhoods. Houston has the fourth highest population in the United States, in large part because of the economic draw of the Houston Ship Channel's job opportunities, Houston's 14 major universities, and its city life. It has surrounding suburbs with affordable homes, the average house is under $200,000, and the average rent is about 1000 People like living on the coast as well. It's beautiful and lively. The same coast that welcomes the danger of hurricanes characterizes a very positive part of Houston's identity. Right now, Houston's population is about 2.3 million people. To this point, we focused mainly on risk to the Houston Ship Channel. 
but it's not the only location in proximity to Houston that is greatly exposed. There's Sugarland, Seabrook, League City, and countless more that would be completely inundated. As our friends Unprepared and Nation at Risk point out, the entire nation would be affected in some capacity. But these are the places most at risk. Specifically, as I've mentioned a couple times before, the ironically named Clear Lake. It's an inlet that feeds in the nearby Nassau Bay. It's close to Houston, but not in the city. There are jobs, and as we've learned with the ship channel, it's quaint and close to the water. This accounts for its growing population and why so many in the area are exposed. The Houston Chronicle has a flood map that shows the percent of property at risk to flood damage in an area over a 30-year span. On the map, most areas of Clear Lake come out above 95%, even some at 99 This is general flooding, too, not associated with grander-scale storm surge that comes from a hurricane. It's located closer to the predicted paths of P715 and FEMA 36 than the ship channel. And like the ship channel, they have little to no precautionary infrastructure, once again. Clear Lake and the Houston area are greatly exposed because of their infrastructure. First off, the industrialization of the city meant it obliterated the grassland that would absorb a great amount of flood water. There are no major levee systems, and the ship channel is the largest in the United States, bringing 1.2 million jobs to the state of Texas, 2.7 million nationwide jobs, and providing oil to pretty much the entire country. It creates almost $265 billion in economic activity in Texas, and more than $617 billion nationwide. If it were hit by a storm like FEMA 36, there would be astronomical damage to both the port and the national economy. Then there's the petrochemical complex. It's the additional danger, even the biggest, inside the large shipping port. If hit, it's not just property that would be damaged, it's property damage that would also release massive amounts of oil and chemicals, leaving the surrounding population exposed. The petrochemical complex is there because obviously there's oil, a lot of oil in Texas. The port is also called an autonomous governmental subdivision of the state of Texas, which basically means they're granted a certain degree of self-governance And many, including the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, are still very concerned about federal overreach. In the oil industry, and in Texas especially, they love to use the word exploration. They want to reserve their right to explore, as in discover and extract more oil. This language can be cited as an additional factor of exposure because it's an alarmingly subtle way of downplaying what exploration really means. Houston is ideal for oil companies, big like Exxon and small independent companies, because of Texas's little regulation of oil, easy access to a port, and the elimination of something called severance tax. A severance tax is a state tax imposed on the extraction of non-renewable natural resources that are intended for consumption in other states. In other words, Texas's oil companies don't have to pay taxes on their own oil, the area they're exporting to does. The body that presides over this regulation is the Texas Railroad Commission, or the RRC. According to them, the reduction or elimination of state severance taxes 
provides an economic incentive to operators to, to undertake activities that produce oil and gas resources that otherwise might remain uncovered. Texas recognized back in the late 1980s that incentives to increase the state's oil and gas production were extremely valuable. Of course, oil businesses were drawn to the area. There's oil there, they don't have to pay taxes, and they barely have to deal with regulation. More oil, more money, but more oil, more CO2 emissions, more global warming, more hurricanes, and more storm surge. In 2017, a California lawsuit prompted Chevron, Exxon, and three other big oil companies to concede that human fossil fuel use and deforestation is what's causing high CO2 emissions and global warming. The judge concluded that the combustion of fossil fuels has, in and of itself, materially increased carbon dioxide levels, which in turn has materially increased the median temperature of the planet, which in turn has accelerated ice melt and raised and continues to raise sea level. The oil company's rebuttal acknowledged this to be true, but shifted the responsibility towards the public who uses their products. This is proof that the unregulated presence of oil in the Houston area greatly increases exposure. It begs a lot of questions. With two million jobs, a country dependent on oil, and a complicated policy, how does the U.S. back out of its oil production? When does the economy have to take a back seat for the environment, and how do we deal with the challenges that arise from it? It makes it clear why there's been such little attention towards a coastal spine. By increasing CO2 emissions, the industry of the ship channel is increasing the likelihood that a perfect storm happens. The petrochemical complex is increasing its own exposure and the exposure of the surrounding population but they're also the large cause of increased vulnerability for the industry, and so they're dragging along the population's vulnerability, too. Two studies, one about industrial vulnerability and the other on social vulnerability and mitigation, have exposed the extent of this vulnerability. The studies address the shortcomings of current infrastructural and governing communication structures for a number of reasons. First, petrochemical companies store their oil and chemical products in above-ground storage tanks, or ASTs. They're the cause of the bulk of the Houston Ship Channel's vulnerability because there are no mandatory requirements to prevent ASTs from being built in the dangerous zone, and because they're not structured to resist storm surge at all. One AST spill in a residential neighborhood caused the relocation of 1,700 homes. During Hurricane Harvey, two ASTs released 1.7 million liters of gasoline. In Katrina, over 50 oil spills were attributed mostly to pipelines and tanks that were damaged by inundation. In our expected simulated storm, 3,256 out of the 4,600 tanks would be inundated. Over 200 facilities would be greater than 40% inundated, which indicates candidacy for complete failure. Over 40 have higher vulnerability. This vulnerability is geospatial and environmental. Those closer to areas with ASTs are more vulnerable, which is 83,000 people 
the population is rarely notified when a spill does occur. And evacuation priority also doesn't even account for AST hazard, only storm surge. And it's vague around the safety of sheltering in place. All of these factors increase vulnerability. AST failure means land oil spills that are hazardous. The study indicates the preventative measures that would be set in place in infrastructure, community bases, and government. Infrastructurally, they suggest relocating the AST's chemical contents prior to the storm, then filling the empty AST's with water so that they have enough weight to remain grounded. This requires a substantial preparation interval and isn't overwhelmingly effective on its own. Coupled with it, they suggest anchoring and bracing the AST so it doesn't move or buckle. These, these solutions indicate that the original vulnerabilities we deal with now are that ASTs are not resistant to storm surge. Anchors, braces, and relocation of petrochemicals are short-term solutions. They're less effective, but less expensive, yet still expensive. As a long-term plan, preventative dikes are cited as the best mitigation, but they entail a lengthy billion-dollar process. This, this solution indicates that the existing vulnerability comes from a lack of large-scale mitigation structures and the fact that the process is slow and expensive. To make the project more affordable, the study indicates that dikes should target areas where the community would be most drastically effective. But the proposal entails a 14 to 21 foot coastal barrier stretching down the entirety of the Galveston Bay. It would cost $5 billion and construction would take two years plus however long it takes to receive approval. Texas A&M, the university developing the plans for the coastal spine, admit that they still need more development. Uh, one other part of their proposal is a strong opposition of dune systems which is basically like a pile of sediment um, because they aren't strong enough to handle the expected storm and would contribute more damage through erosion. The property damage costs that would result from AST failure and storm surge are rising, but there has also been an increase in the factors of socially vulnerable communities. Unemployment, female-headed households, poverty, foreign-born residents, and minority presence are all increasing. The vulnerability is increasing already and is higher in populations of lower-income Hispanics who now comprise the majority of residents and yet often possess little financial, social, or political power in the area. These groups are therefore more vulnerable because their ability to recover financially is negatively affected by societal stressors. Those living outside the zone at risk are also wealthier and experience less pollution and are therefore less vulnerable. Storm surge, like what would be expected from one of our simulated storms, would cause incredible property damage. In some areas, it's mandatory to pay flood insurance, but in a lot of others, it's not. Those who are uninsured and or those who have less financial means are more vulnerable because their ability to recover is more difficult. Current tactics for disclosing information about hurricane and storm surge risk also increase vulnerability in two ways. 
They either stress the improbability of extreme events and protect industry interests by discouraging the contribution of resources to prevention, or they simply imply a less urgent what-if rather than a how-likely. In order to decrease social factors of vulnerability, the study recommends establishing a clear authoritative body in the case of extreme storm surge communication. Right now, there isn't one. This body would have a specific focus towards assisting less advantaged groups and would generally educate on spill risk and evacuation. It would provide longer-term assistance in housing and legal services, especially to communities with heightened vulnerability. Information about spills would be made more readily accessible. Right now, the process to access nearby industrial risks is extremely bureaucratic and only in English. And the study asks the petrochemical complex to recognize that the global lucrativity of the industry has locally centered consequences, vulnerability to air pollution, spill risk, and inflamed storm surge. These solutions and plans of action are recommendations from the study and are not necessarily being executed. Although the study's recommended solutions haven't been totally employed, and government attention to the issue has been slow, there are promising solutions in the works. A, a couple times I've briefly mentioned how climate change has been increasing the likelihood of a storm. Intensifying tropical storms and sea level rise, there are more damaging wind speeds, higher storm surges, and more extreme rainfall rates. The water is getting warmer, hurricanes form in warm water, therefore due to climate change we can expect more frequent hurricanes and storm surges. The situation is inseparable from climate change. Houston does have two major climate plans in the works. One called the Houston Climate Action Plan, which is based on four main pillars, low emission transportation developments, energy transition, building optimization, and waste reduction strategies. They have a small mention of enhancing oil recovery, identifying methane leaks, um, but they have nothing that touches on the petrochemical complex or that mentions the coastal spine. Most of the plan won't set into effect until 2025 at the earliest. The other plan is called Resilient Houston. They have five main goals, preparing Houstonians, equitability, healthy bayous, adaptability, and general innovation. This one is much more water focused each section is split into goals, with 18 in total. Some are more relevant to storm surge than others, beginning with removing all habitable structures and preventing new development of habitable structures in the floodway. They would expand the detention capacity of bayou corridors, establish a new elevation requirement, and they would employ a community buy-in and buy-out property swap program so people living within the floodway have an easier way of relocating. They would also promote natural infiltration and treatment of stormwater by wetlands, prairies, and woodlands, continuing to develop new technologies. It's much more ex extensive than this, but these are the highlights. It's, it's honestly pretty promising, but it doesn't incorporate a coastal spine, and it has a lot of work cut out for it, extending its timeline into 2050 and later. It also doesn't call out the petrochemical complex. In fact, it's funded by Shell. 
Corporations like Shell and Exxon have commitments to reducing their carbon footprints on their websites, but concrete information about their efforts is minimal and their statements are often vague. The Ship Channel supposedly has a commitment to the environment as well, which, according to a flyer on their website, means they've planted almost 6,000 trees, they've recycled 70,000 tons, they use LED light bulbs, and they've switched to 100% solar energy. Apparently, these things eliminate almost 26,000 tons of CO2. Exxon is maybe investigating a $100 billion investment in the Houston area to capture carbon emissions. But in 2018, the port of Houston handled more than 182 billion tons of cargo, with petroleum-related cargo accounting for 70% of the total tonnage. So it's hard to say these efforts are making any significant offset. And even without the large storm, there were already a total of 27 facilities with greater than 1 billion pounds of released chemicals to the water environment annually. Leaves wetlands, marshes, sediments, fisheries, and migratory birds with increased vulnerability as well, and it has a great effect on the future of the ecosystems. Hurricanes are natural, inevitable hazards, and so is storm surge. But a prominent city full of chemicals and uninformed people makes storm surge in the Houston Channel a grave, high-risk matter. Looking at the hurricane's ability to do damage, their intensification due to climate change, the messy process of developing an action plan, infrastructure that takes little consideration of storm precaution, a lack of equitability and access to steady recovery methods, weak communication structures, I could go on. This is a perfect storm of unpreparedness in an inflamed hazard, in inflamed exposure, and in inflamed vulnerability. We need some Category 5 winds of change.